0: Well, it's good to be back with you. I'm so thankful for my good friend, Danny Singfeld and for Sam, who preached the last two weeks. They did a marvelous job, both of them. And I thank God for that. <clears throat> but it's good to be back. I tell you, vacations are great, but I like my routine. I like to be back in the saddle. And so I want you to take your Bibles today and and turn to Psalm 130. Psalm 130. Before we get into the message, I want to remind you that if you're a guest with us today, or if you're watching online and you're looking for a church home, on on July the 19th, we're having a, a Discover CFBC dinner. It's in the room next to the bookstore. We'd love for you to come and be a part of that. You'll learn about Collierville First Baptist. You can even join the church on that day. So I want you to put that on your calendar. And if you're looking for a church home, be sure and come to that Discover CFBC dinner. And I want to remind you as you leave today, if you can just place your offerings in the offering boxes, I'd appreciate it. Guys, I have no sound in the monitors. All right? So Psalm Psalm 130. The Book of Psalms is a collection of 150 spirit-inspired poems, hymns, and songs originating from the worship of ancient Israel. Throughout history, church fathers and Bible scholars have classified these psalms into categories according to their content, their theme, and their structure. One category of these psalms is penitential psalms. There are seven of these penitential psalms in the book of Psalms. Psalm 6, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, Psalm 102, Psalm 130, and Psalm 143. In each of these, the author confesses his sin to the Lord and recognizes his need for God's forgiveness. This Psalm, Psalm 130, has had a special place in a lot of believers' hearts through the years. Martin Luther, the German reformer, was greatly moved by the inspired words of this Psalm, so much so that he wrote a song based on this Psalm. John Wesley, the great revivalists and the founder of the Methodist Church, was stirred by it as well on the day that he gave his heart to Jesus. Its impact can be traced to the fact that the seeds of the gospel are deeply implanted in this psalm. And I think, I think you'll see that as we move forward. Psalm 130 is itself a song of ascents. The, the Jews would sing this psalm as they made their way to Jerusalem for the great feast. Its four stanzas deal with sorrow over sin, forgiveness, faith in God, and redemption. There is a powerful message in this psalm, and it's just for you. In fact, it's been for people throughout the ages. And here's that that powerful message. Only God can forgive you and save you. I want you to know that today, and that comes through loud and clear in this psalm today. I I believe that eight different times in these eight verses, there's a reference to the Lord, and the psalmist is depending on God. He's crying out to God. He wants God to forgive him and to make him right with God and to bring him into a close relationship with God himself a leading British humanist, was interviewed on television. In a moment of surprising candor, this lady made this statement, and I quote, What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. Wow. You see, even an atheist realizes that there's something wrong with their lives even an atheist realize that they need forgiveness even though they have nowhere to go to get forgiveness because they don't believe in God let me ask you do you know with absolute certainty that God has forgiven your sin and that you are saved and that your soul is secure. Do you know that with absolute certainty today? Well, I want you to know if you don't, you can before we leave this building today. In fact, in a few moments, I'm going to invite you to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite you to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus. And I promise you, if you do that, God will forgive you He will forgive every sin that you've ever committed and every sin that you will ever commit in the future. And God will make you a part of his eternal family. He will save you. I hope and pray. I hope and pray that you will be very keenly aware of what the Holy Spirit says to your own heart today. Now, I want you to notice that there's an amazing progression that takes place in this psalm. You'll see it as we make our way through it. Let's begin with the first part of this psalm, Psalm 130, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what it says. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. This is what I call the cry for mercy. Can't you just sense the desperation with the psalmist's words here? It's like his life has hit rock bottom. Now, there are a lot of different reasons that our lives hit rock bottom. Sometimes our life hits rock bottom. Because we lose a job. Sometimes our life hits rock bottom because of a broken relationship. Sometimes our our life hits rock bottom because of financial quagmire that we find ourselves in. But I believe the psalmist had one reason that he was crying out to God for mercy. And it was not that he was in a broken relationship. Not that he had had his feelings hurt. He was crying out to God because he had a sin problem. He had a sin problem, and that becomes very evident later on. In Psalm 69, 1 through 3, the psalmist says, Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. I've sunk in deep mire, and there's no foothold. I've come into deep waters, and a flood overflows me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for God. So let me ask you a question. Do you sense in your own life, the desperation that the Psalmist is voicing here in this Psalm? Do you sense in your own life that there is sin in your life and you need the God of heaven to forgive you of that sin? That's exactly what was going on with him. That's why he cried out to God for mercy. And maybe you need to cry out to God for mercy this morning. But as we move forward to the next stanza, I want you to see, secondly, the forgiveness God provides. Uh, Boyce made this astute observation, and I quote, he said, our problem today, especially in appreciating a psalm like this, is that most of us do not have much awareness of sin. We live most of our lives with very little awareness of God, and where God has been abolished, and awareness of sin is inevitably abolished also because sin is defined only in relationship to God. We see sin everywhere. Therefore, we see sin nowhere, not even in our own lives. But the psalmist recognized that there was sin in his heart, that he had sinned against a holy and righteous and just God. And he cried out to God for mercy. And then he rehearses one of the great spiritual truths that you'll ever find in any part of the Bible. In verses 3 and 4, listen to it. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? But there's forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. Does God keep a record of our sins? Absolutely, he does. He he knows every sin that every person has ever committed past, present, and he even knows the one they'll commit in the future because nothing escapes the notice of God. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus made this statement. He said, but I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Even your careless words, the careless words where you Uh, snipe at your spouse or you snipe at your child or you dishonor your parents or whatever you do with your mouth those are recorded by God God knows them And, and the Bible says this in Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 to 13 then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds." I want you to know, dear friend, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and then comes the judgment. There's a a judgment called the white throne judgment that will occur in the future. And every person who has rejected Jesus Christ will stand before him in that judgment. And they will be judged based upon their deeds, what they did what they said and what they did and even what they thought. How would you like to face God on the day of judgment and not be saved and know that the record of every sin of your life had been recorded by God and noted in these books and God is going to pull them out and show you why he is going to reject you and send you to hell. How would you like to stand on your own record before a holy and righteous God? I wouldn't want to do that. I would hope that none of you would either. Look at verse four again, but there is forgiveness with you. (laughs) That's right, listen. God offers unlimited forgiveness for every sin you have committed or will ever commit in the, in the future. Now, you say, well, how in the world can a just and holy God forgive sins? Does God develop divine amnesia and just forget about our sins? Does God just overlook our sins? Absolutely not. Barclay said this, forgiveness is never a case of saying it's all right, it doesn't matter. It does matter. Forgiveness is the most costly thing in the world. God forgives our sin based upon the sacrifice of his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.24, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you were healed. So here's the point. You and I are guilty sinners who have a desperate need for God's forgiveness. And and listen, I want you to understand something. Only God can forgive you and save you. Nobody else can do that for you. You can't pull that off yourself. Your goodness and your ability to be religious will not cut it on the day you stand before God in judgment. You need God's forgiveness. I want you to know that God accepted the sacrifice of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you know, pastor? How do you know that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus for me on the cross? How do you know? Because on the third day, God raised him from the dead. That's how I know. That's the proof that God accepted the sacrifice of his son for our sins. Look at verse four again. There's an interesting concept there, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. You may be feared. These are pivotal words for us. In the heart of a person who has realized that they're a sinner in need of a Savior, in the heart of a person who realized they need God's forgiveness and they need to cry out for God's mercy, there is a sense of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is there because they realize that only God can forgive them. There's nowhere else to turn. You can't turn to your parents, you can't turn to your children. You can't turn to a psychologist or a psychiatrist. You can't turn to a pastor or a priest. The only one who can forgive your sins and save you is God himself. And I'll tell you what, if you're not saved, that should put the fear of God in your heart. But now once you're saved, once you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus, there's also the fear of the Lord after you're saved. Listen, I wrote this down in my notes. I want to make sure I say it right. There's a deep sense of fear and reverence for God because we have been forgiven. Spurgeon said this, none fear the Lord like those who have experienced his forgiving love. Gratitude for pardon produces far more fear and reverence for God than the dread of punishment. So true. I'll tell you what, the very fact that we can know if we're a born-again believer, if we've received God's forgiveness, the very fact that we can know that we're forgiven should produce in our hearts an amazing, overflowing, abounding, abounding reverence for God. That he would do that for folks like us. It's amazing. Only God can forgive you and save you. Jesus said that he who has been forgiven much loves much. Do you love God? Are you born again? Have you been forgiven? Is there a deep sense of reverence in your heart for the God who has forgiven you and saved you? So we've seen the progression already. First, there's the cry for mercy And then we climb up and we see the forgiveness God provides. And then thirdly, I want you to see the reality of hope. In verses 5 and 6, the psalmist wrote, I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. You ought to underline that in your Bible. In his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. Can we be sure? Can we be absolutely sure that God will forgive us and save us? Absolutely. Absolutely. We must find our confidence and assurance where the psalmist found his confidence and assurance. And that is in the word of God. He said, my hope is in the word of God. Will you believe God's promises like David did in Psalm 103, verses 1 through 4, and then verses 12 and 13? Listen to what David wrote. Now, David was a pretty big sinner, wasn't he? Yet he was forgiven. Listen to what he wrote. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons, hold on to your seat, who pardons all your iniquities. How many? All of them. Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. I tell you, the psalmist in the first part of this psalm, he was in the pit. He was crying out, he was desperate, crying out to God for mercy, Who redeemed your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Then verses 12 and 13, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed his transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Other people might not forgive you. You may have trouble forgiving yourself. But I tell you on the authority of the word of God. If you repent of your sin and you place your faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, God will forgive you. You can go to the bank with it. It's a promise from God. And God is faithful. He always keeps his promises. In verse 6, the psalmist says that he is waiting for the Lord. What did he mean? Well, Boyce said this, I quote, he is waiting for God himself. It is God whom he has offended by his sin, and it is fellowship with God that has been broken and needs to be restored. Notice that the forgiveness does not depend on his feeling forgiven he is forgiven whether he feels it or not because he has asked God for it and God has promised to forgive. Now he also wants the intimacy with God that should and will follow and he is waiting for it. He is waiting in faith. The psalmist that say, I can't wait until I have that wonderful intimacy with God, that closeness with God. Oh, what a wonderful psalm this is. We've seen the cry for mercy, the forgiveness God provides, and the reality of hope. Now let's look at the promise of redemption. I told you this psalm begins in the very depths, right? And it's just, it just keeps ascending higher and higher and higher until we come to the height of glory here in the last two verses of this great psalm. Verses seven and eight O oh Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The psalmist has received God's forgiveness by now, he's been redeemed. And he wants all of Israel to know about it. He wants all of Israel to experience what he has experienced. Let me ask you, if you're saved, if God has forgiven you of your sin, if he's redeemed you, don't you want people who have not experienced that to experience it themselves? It's exactly what we have here in verses 7 and 8. We can understand this word redemption even better than the psalmist could because of progressive revelation. We have the New Testament we can refer to to get a, a clearer understanding of redemption. In Ephesians 1 7, Paul wrote, In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of. his grace. Jesus redeems people caught in the web of sin by offering his body and blood as payment for their sins. And as a result, God forgives these sins if we cry out for mercy and place our faith in Christ alone. Only Jesus, listen to me very carefully, only Jesus can set you free from the bondage of the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day even the presence of sin. Only Jesus can do that. This is the greatest truth in all the world. This is the gospel in the Old Testament. And it is a wonderful, wonderful song. I'm gonna invite our worship team to come forward And we're going to have a moment of invitation. We're going to give you a chance today. If you're here today, you say, Pastor, I'm that psalmist there in the early part. And I'm crying out to God for mercy. Pastor, I realize that I'm a sinner. And I need God to forgive me and save me. I want you to know He will. He will. And I'm going to invite you to leave your seat in just a moment. Come to one of our staff members. And just tell them today that you want to be saved. That you want God's forgiveness. And we'll help you to understand what that means. But if you're here today and you're a born-again believer, my question to you is, will you live your life as as a believer with a profound sense of reverence for God? Will you give him that reverence because he has forgiven you when you didn't deserve it? And will you as a believer come to this altar or right there at your seat and confess any sin that you're involved in in this moment and ask God to forgive you? We're about to receive the Lord's Supper. And we always as a church give our people a chance to confess and forsake any known sin in their lives before we observe the Lord's Supper. And I wanna encourage you to do that. So let me pray. We're going to worship and you come, Father, in the name of Jesus. I pray that there will be people in this room, people watching live stream, who will receive Jesus as Lord and Savior and receive the forgiveness, Father, that only you can provide through Jesus. Oh, God, I pray that every believer would be so moved by what you've done in their lives and forgiving them that they would have a profound sense of reverence today and next week and going forward in their lives. Lord, cleanse us and purify us as we're about to receive the Lord's Supper. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and worship and you come.